Welcome to Women in Chemicals, Women of the Week. I'm Amelia, and I'm joined today by our education chair, Caroline Thomas. Hi, everyone. And our guest for Woman of the Week, Dr. Kimberly Wise-White, Vice President, Regulatory and Scientific Affairs at the American Chemistry Council. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Today's episode is sponsored by Royal Chemical. At Royal Chemical, they are in the business of developing solutions to your problems. Each job is their top priority. Every challenge is their opportunity to serve you. With more than 80 years of experience in chemical blending, Royal Chemical has the expertise to be your preferred contract manufacturing partner. Ready to see how Royal Chemical can help you find the best customized approach to your business's unique needs? Contact them to schedule your free chemical consultation today. All right, Kimberly. So I want to just jump right into the first question here and give our community and all our listeners an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. So can you introduce yourself and tell us about your background, how you got into your current role today? Sure. So again, just thanks so much for having me. I am again, I'm Kimberly Wise White, and I'm the vice president of the American Chemistry Council's um, Regulatory and Scientific Affairs Division. I have a background in biology. So I have a, a, a master's in biology degree, and I have a doctorate in environmental toxicology. And so I really spend my time um, working on science every day. And so who could not love a job where you get to do science all day, every day? So it's like I said, a kid in a candy store. Um, and I get to really spend time working with a lot of the leading scientists within the chemical industry, but also regulators and legislators that are helping shape how chemicals are managed and policies evaluated throughout the country and into uh, the nation. Awesome. So what types of roles did you have along the way that got you into this role? Were you in a science background or were you in a regulatory background? Can you kind of talk through some of your career progression thus far? Yeah, I have been really lucky throughout my career to spend a lot of time, um, one, working in a research lab. So as I was an undergrad and graduate student, I really thought I would spend all of my career really working in a research lab because I loved the opportunity to really integrate and interact right at the cellular level. Um, but I had an opportunity um, while I was in grad school to take an internship that was doing science policy with the State Department. And I really love the intersection between science and policy. So not only doing the research that really looked at how chemistries and how things affect the human body and the environment, but also how that translated into public policy. And so, you know, that led to not only working in internships in science and policy, but working at um, environmental um, compliance related organizations to look at air, water and waste, and then really translating again into what I do now, which is really on the policy side. And so it's a really nice intersection between doing all the, the laboratory science and really understanding how, how things interact, but then seeing how that really translates to public policy and being able to shepherd that through. And so it's been, like I said, it's been really interesting. And I think I've been pretty lucky in, in my career over the last couple of years. Yeah, it sounds like you've had a lot of diverse opportunities. Um, so I would love to know if at some point along the way, 
you made an intentional choice to come to ACC and in this role with uh, regulatory and scientific affairs? And, and how did you know that this was kind of the right path for you? It was definitely an intentional choice uh, to come over to the American Chemistry Council. Like I said, it's one of the leading trade associations that's really focused on that intersection between science and policy, and it really uses science as the foundation for policy. And so, before that, I was uh, before that I was really working in environmental compliance, and so I was working for uh, a company that actually made delicatessen products. So, uh, probably your favorite ham or turkey. Um, I was working at a company that did that and I did all the environmental compliance for that company so really air water and waste related activities and I started to think a little bit about you know well you know can you do more besides just working at an individual member company that is kind of looking at air water and waste individually and is there an opportunity to really look at things more holistically and so that really led me to an opportunity here at the American Chemistry Council and previous to the American Chemistry Council working at another trade association really again looking at broad-based science policy. And like I said, because of my love of science, I really wanted to focus in on an organization that uses science as the foundation for what they're doing. And so it is, like I said, a very nice intersection between, you know, research sciences initiatives really focused in on um, research and development, and then using that information and sharing that information transparently with the public and with regulators. Awesome. Thank you. And I'm Glad that you shared that anecdote about working at this deli meat company or delicatessen meat company and the um, air, water, and waste associated in the, the regulation around them disposing of their air, water, and waste. And I, sitting in the commercial chemical industry every day, should know that chemicals are all around us. They're part of everything that we do. They're part of human life. But as you were talking about that, I started thinking... Huh, ham and turkey have air, water, and waste. Like you think about just like poultry or pork, and that's that's it. But it it really is part of every process. So I I love that anecdote. It kind of brings it back to back to the core of the conversation. It absolutely does. I mean, we are our bodies are chemical factories, right? So we are the number one premier chemical factory that exists here on planet Earth, and so. We are efficient um, and we make things happen and we are able to live every day. And so you think about all the things that go into you just being able to wake up every day and inhale and exhale and, you know, the thousands of processes that have to be happening from a chemicals perspective inside of your body every day. And so we're efficient, right? And so just to see people often forget that we're our own chemical factories. Yeah, that's a funny way to think about it. And you're absolutely right. Um, so I want to touch on something that you shared in your pre-interview um, questions. And you mentioned that your love for science started in early adolescence. Something that we talk about a lot at Women in Chemicals is that part of the issue of not having female representation in the chemical industry is systemic and that we're not building our pipeline enough or we're not exposing enough young girls and young women to opportunities in the chemical industry, but also to the STEM, uh, you know, science, tech, engineering, mathematics. So can you share a little bit about 
how you came to love science, what you loved about it, and was there a specific person or event that inspired you and inspired your love for, for science? Yeah, there absolutely was. So you mentioned that um, I got my love of science from early adolescence. So I did not come from a family of scientists. So I'm actually one of the only scientists in my immediate family. But when I was very young, about eight year old, my parents gave me a microscope. And because they were very into kind of exposing their children to all types of things. And so my parents were like, well, I'm just going to give her a microscope and see if she likes it, right? And see if she explores it. And I, I love that microscope, that red microscope. I remember it very vividly as I'm sitting here talking to you. It was one of the favorite things that I had. I spent hours and hours like with that microscope, looking at things underneath of it, looking at small molecules and, and microorganisms. And, and I remember thinking like, this is amazing that you can look at something out in the environment, you can put it under the microscope and you can magnify it 10,000, a thousand times and you can see something so unique and different that you didn't ever know existed. And so from that moment on, I wanted to kind of explore. I wanted to see what was out there. I wanted to understand. And I was always wanting to ask questions and find out the answer. I mean, and that's like the basis of science is you build a hypothesis and then you see if it works. Right. And so that's what's so exciting, I think, about science for me. And that's where my love of science started very early on with that microscope. And like I said, I can still remember it to this day that that is probably like the catalyzing moment for me that got me really engaged and wanting to study science. And it never really stopped from there. That's awesome. That's so cool that at eight years old, you had the I guess, wisdom to know that when you looked in a microscope and saw, you know, things to the cell level, that that was so cool and impressive. And I think that's something that we as humans take for granted every day that like, we're composed, like you said, we're these chemical factories, but we're also composed of all these tiny minuscule molecules and everything that we interact with is as well. Caroline. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I was just going to say it is really amazing when you think about it. I mean, I, I look back to when I was that eight year old looking under the microscope and I never realized like what the inside of a leaf actually looked like. Right. And so you see that and you're like, this is really what's in here. And then you look at like your own cells and later on in, you know, in high school where you're doing dissections and you're looking under microscopes and you're like, there's this whole great big world. And there is these pieces of the world that you never see because they're microscopic. And so being able to explore that, I think is just exciting. And, you know, you, it never gets old, which, which I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, when you find something, they always say, when you find something that you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life. And I can honestly say that like every day it's, I'm excited about what I do and what I'm learning because there's always something new and different. That's awesome. Yeah. You might have me um, buying a microscope here right after our interview, because now I'm wondering what does the inside of a leaf look like? Yeah. I need to know. It's like, you got You got to see it, but you got to see it to believe it. So Caroline, do you have any comments? I laugh because I tried to give my five-year-old nephew a microscope this year and he was not very interested in it. So my hope is I can give him one when he's eight and that will change because he loves exploring. Um, so I, I really loved that part too. I was kind of laughing there, but 
I love your, your sense of exploration too. I think that that's something that carries over into my life. And I think a lot of people in our community have, you know, find something that is intriguing and explore it and, and look where you are today from that exploration. And just think that's a really incredible thing. Yeah. Like I said, I, I love it. I mean, you know, I love science, so I try to get everybody excited about science where I can, right? Even if they're a little complacent at first, like there's always something I feel like you can draw someone in. I mean, you think about science interacts with everything, you know, science is cooking, right? And so you put things together and they become other things. And that's all, that's science and chemistry. And it's the science and chemistry you can eat, which is even better. Yeah, we just read a book as part of our book club called Lessons in Chemistry. And it's about this woman who loses her job in a lab. So she starts a cooking show and she like refers to salt as NACL and really interesting. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about why we're all here today. Um, You were nominated by our contacts at an organization that Women in Chemicals is really proud to engage with called FOSSI. Uh, that stands for Future of STEM Scholars Initiative, and it is a national industry-wide program which provides scholarships and professional development opportunities for students pursuing STEM majors at historically Black colleges and universities. I know that ACC is one of FOSSI's founding partner companies, along with the AICHE, Camores, and the HBCU Week Foundation. Um, so can you share a little bit about FOSSI and your involvement? Yeah, absolutely. Like FOSSI is a nationwide chemical industry effort, as you mentioned, with our founding partners, um, AICHE, the Camorra's company, as well as um, the HBCU Week Foundation and ACC. And it was a collaborative project that um, was born in uh, 2020. Um, So we're two years young now um, in our effort here of supporting um, STEM disciplines and really students going to HBCUs. And really um, back in 2020, as an industry, we really looked and wanted to ensure that we were, you know, encouraging and focused on diversity in our um, industry. And also wanting to make sure that we were bringing in, you know, talent um, into our pipeline over the next several years. Um, We anticipate that there is going to be over, you know, more than a million jobs or so that are going to be added to the economy related to STEM disciplines. And we have to find a way to make sure that we're bringing in and educating and getting students interested in STEM overall. And so while I'm focused on the science piece of STEM, there is a technology, engineering, and mathematics piece that is really critical to our industry as well. And so we really wanted to find a way to support students in the STEM disciplines, but also not only just give them funding to go to school, which is a scholarship is always, uh, you know, helpful to minimize financial barriers to go to college, but also you want to make sure that they have a support system and a network as they're in school. And so what FOSSI does is not only provide scholarships, scholarship opportunities to those students, but it also gives leadership and development opportunities and it connects each one of those students to one of our member sponsors so that they're really building connectivity in our industry, that they're bringing their thought and leadership and ideas to the industry and then we can share with them as well.
well over those four years. So it's really building a connection for four years of time in hopes that they want to come into our chemical industry and really help shape um, the work that we're doing and help us innovate um, to solve some of the nation's problems and innovations as we move through over the next several years. And so in just two years time, we have uh, secured funding for over 550 five students um, through 2025. We really have a really ambitious goal to fund at least a thousand students between now and 2025. And so we're well on our way. We already have more than 300 students that are already funded through this program right now that are currently matriculating at HBCUs. These are just amazing students that are studying all types of majors from biology to chemistry to chemical engineering to mechanical engineering to, um, you know, to uh, information technology and computer science. And so we're really looking to um, hopefully get those students, you know, engaged and help them understand our industry, but also really hear what's important to them over the next couple of years. So I'm really excited about this effort. I have been lucky enough from our ACC team to really devote a lot of time and effort to this project, be able to participate in a lot of the college fairs that we do jointly with HBCU Weeks Foundations events. And so this has been just an amazing experience for us and hopefully for the students that are participating in it. Thank you for giving that background. And I know when Caroline and I learned about FOSSI, we were both just taken aback by all the progress you guys have made in this short time that FOSSI has been, I mean, you said two years, it's amazing, already 550 scholarships, it's incredible. So I wanna make sure that anybody that listens to this can understand how they can get involved. So if there is a student out there that wants to get involved with potentially getting a FOSSI scholarship, how do they go about that? Absolutely. So the application process is open right now through January the 31st, 2022. And they can go to futureofstem.org to get information on the application process overall. Um, But like I said, it's open through January the 31st. We are encouraging those applicants to apply. It'll provide you all the information on how to apply. It's a relatively streamlined application process. Uh, You have to provide your your GPA, some transcripts, as well as address some uh, essay questions. Um, And then there's some opportunities, again, for some engagement um, along the way. So um, please uh, apply. You got uh, just over a month or so before the application process closes. Awesome. We'll link that in our show notes today so anybody can reference that. And how can companies or individuals um, get involved more with FOSSI? So whether that be donating time, donating money, what does that look like? Yes, yeah, so we're always looking for um, for sponsors for the Future of STEM Scholars Initiative program overall. And so for like-minded organizations that want to you know, support STEM disciplines at HBCUs, they can also reach out to myself, they can reach out to our colleagues at AICG, or they can go to the website and they can get information on how to actually um, provide funding into the program directly. In addition to providing funding to the program, we also are always looking for, for leaders um, in our industry, as well as in the STEM disciplines. And so we like to make sure that we're putting leaders in front of our students over the course of the next several years so that they can get career and and growth development opportunities and hear from people that are actually working and living um, in the industry. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I guess as we kind of pivot back toward you a little bit, 
What is your hope or vision for the future of STEM and the chemical industry and, and really our world at large? I mean, my, my vision is to get everybody excited about science, right? And STEM disciplines overall, and then to bring all that enthusiasm and energy into our industry. I mean, we really are focused in on, you know, chemistry really is the building block of, you know, everything that we do. We talked about that our bodies are chemical factories. Uh, a lot of our favorite things that we're using, this technology that we're on now, the computers, the phones, that's all made possible because of chemistry. And so, but those innovations didn't exist several years ago. So you think about the size of your cell phone um, from 15 years ago to today, the size of your computer, the size of your, um, your tablet, and how that has evolved over just a few years. And so all of that evolution is because there has been great thoughtful people that have tried to innovate and created new things. And so really, my goal is that, you know, for efforts like our Future of STEM Scholars Initiative and our industry overall, that we're able to bring that innovation and really help spur the next set of ideas um, and, you know, challenges and opportunities for, for us as a, as a nation. Definitely. Caroline, I want to open the floor for you to, to make some comments. I was actually looking at a, a screen yesterday that was like the size of a house. And I was just like, it's so flat, but it used to be like, you would have taken up the entire room. So I love pointing that out too, because I think sometimes we think of chemistry just in like speakers and stuff, but it's, it's technology too. It's what's driven us forward. It's um, that progress. Um, so I really love that that's your vision and to get people excited about it, I can hear the passion in your voice and that gets me even more excited to be a part of this industry. So I, I'm very inspired by just your passion too, and just hope to carry that on. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about that people often forget about our industry overall is how sustainable we are. Is that really that if you think about kind of clean water, clean air, and all of the technologies that are going to lead to lower emission technologies to reduce the impacts of climate change, those are all possible because of chemistry as well. And so really, as we look at innovating for sustainability purposes, that really that is possible and those innovations are going to continue to evolve because of chemistry. And this is where you really want to have that diversity of thought come in, right? So this is why it's important for us to have programs like the Future of STEM Scholars Initiative, but also to really look at where there are opportunities to solve the challenges that exist today so that we can move into um, the, the world of tomorrow. And so that's one of the things I really love about our industry as well is that, you know, on the one hand, we can talk about electronics and evolution. And on the other hand, we can talk about clean water and clean air and how the chemistries really interact to make all of that possible, I think is just an amazing. Definitely. You have an incredible mindset and just so positive. Um, I feel like when I, we interact with most people on the day-to-day, -day, there's just a lot of negativity in the world. And I'm really loving your positivity and your passion. And you made a statement in your um, pre-interview questions that you don't look at your life as a dichotomy between challenges or opportunities. You just see opportunities to grow and learn. That was so powerful to hear and read. I like had to take a minute to step away from my computer when I read that. Um, 
So can you speak a little bit to how you develop this mindset um, and how you implement it in really tough times, like a global pandemic, for example? It, so the global pandemic is probably a, a great example here where it's really an opportunity. So you think about that this was the nation really uh, looking at something that it had never seen before, right? And you had scientists come together really with a concerted effort across the country to try to identify uh, a vaccine that could be utilized and deployed and follow all of the guidelines that needed it to follow, but also get deployed in a timely fashion. And so this is where you see science really at work. Um, and yes, it was a challenge, but it really presented an opportunity to evolve the way that we, we look at development of vaccines, devolve the way that we communicate to the public about very detailed scientific issues and what matters, what works, um, and how you can be efficient in getting information out and, you know, how you can walk across, walk across sectors to get information out. And I think that was I think truly beneficial and enlightening overall, just in one instance. But generally speaking, I mean, in my life, I, I heard um, a quote uh, a while ago that said that you know, don't let barrier, don't let failure be a barrier, let it be a bridge to something better. And that is really true. That if you look at a challenge that has come along as an opportunity to learn something new, to try something new, to evolve in something different then it really isn't a challenge. It really, because you learn something every time that a challenge or a barrier is presented to you. And while you may fall down, it really is getting up and going on to the next thing. And you always take something, I think a really valuable lesson to the next thing. And that's the way that I look at everything. I mean, I've been very lucky in my career, in my life overall, to have had tremendous opportunities for success. Right. And so when there is a challenge that comes up, I, like I said, I look at it as an opportunity to be successful and to modify or, or change, you know, maybe the way that I was thinking into a different you know, avenue. Thank you so much. That's a really great way to look at things and something that I'm definitely practicing more of um, just coming out of the last two years, supply chain difficulties, all these various things that when I feel totally over my head, now looking back on those instances, I'm like, wow, I learned so much. We have so much visibility into our supply chains mm -hmm. now. I know exactly how all of these products are used now because having to have downstream communications, those types of things. But it does take a little bit of a shift to really put yourself in the framework of, I'm not failing right now, I'm growing. Yes, that is the best way to think about it is I'm growing. Right. And sometimes growth is slow. Right. You think about sometimes how long it takes to grow a blade of grass. Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes that takes a, that takes a little while. Right. And you don't see the incremental changes until one day the grass is too long and you have to cut it. And so you just have to understand that while it may not seem like you're making significant progress that, you know, you are. It just takes, you know, it just takes a little time sometimes. Definitely. So one of the other initiatives that we run at Women in Chemicals that Caroline is in charge of is our book club. And our book that we're going to read in Q1 is Crucial Conversation. So it's about navigating effective communication, hard dialogues. And we thought, given your 
extensive and diverse background working with so many different types of companies from you know, medium-sized enterprises in biology and chemistry to product design to now working in between regulation and science that you must be a pretty good communicator because you've had to communicate with a lot of different stakeholder groups over the course of your career. So we're hoping you can share with our community some considerations, learning, best practices in effectively communicating with ride-ranging audiences um, that you've learned in your career. I think that's a great question. Um, you know, we do a lot of communications in, in our job overall. I mean, as a scientist, you know, we deal with very technical issues and sometimes we have to bring those up to a very high level so that they're understandable, but that the information is still accurate. And so one thing that I really focus in on when I'm communicating is kind of meet everyone where they are. So understand what they want to get out of the discussion that we're about to have and try to ask very probing questions so I understand what they need, what, what they need to understand, and then really focusing what I'm saying on the message that they want to get out of it. Because I think, you know, a lot of times we may be having conversations and talking past people because we're not listening, you know, and part of that's why, you know, they say, you know, you have two ears and one mouth because you need to listen twice as much as you talk. And so you really have to pause and really make sure that you're understanding and you're listening to what the other person is saying and then being responsive to what they're saying to you instead of just trying to move forward and say, you know, whatever is kind of top of mind for you. And I, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I, I look at when I'm communicating. And I think it's probably the most valuable piece of information when I'm talking to anyone is to ask them a question first. Okay, so active listening is one thing that you touched on, and that's something I come from a sales background. I now work in product, Caroline's in sales. So that's something that we're constantly trying to deploy, but that's a really hard skill to learn. Um, and then asking questions. So can you give an example, I, I guess, if you're trying to communicate something that's really technical or you see that you're communication is not being received correctly of how you would go about maybe more effectively communicating it or what types of questions you might ask to, to garner clarity? Yeah, so I, I see it on a couple of fronts. So from the scientific front, like when we're doing research and experiments, and so we have data that's very technical talking about, you know, a key finding in, in a rat and trying to translate that finding from a rat to a human. And so, you know, we may be talking initially, if I'm talking to a very detailed scientific audience, I can get into the weeds. And then if someone says, well, you know, I don't really understand anything that you said about this chemistry or this product, like, can you just kind of put it in lay terms for me? And so I asked them, well, well what's important to you? Like, what do you know about about this product or this chemistry or this rulemaking. And then I let them tell me what they know. And then I say, well, what questions do you have about this particular thing? And then, then we have a dialogue back and forth. I remember um, years ago, I was on a flight um, and I was working on a presentation that was relatively technical. And as as you know, seatmates will do, they kind of look over at your computer and see what you're looking at. And so they asked kind of what I was working on. I was like, oh, I'm a scientist. You know, I work um, in, in the chemical industry. And so 
they said, oh, well, I, I guess you're gonna tell me that all chemicals are great and nothing is toxic. And I said, actually, that is the reverse of my degree. Uh, my degree is in toxicology and the dose makes the poison. And so everything has the potential to be toxic given the dose. And so we got into a discussion on, on a sweeteners on, on the plane and they were debating on two sweeteners, one that was a natural sweetener and one that was a, uh, not a natural sweetener. And they said, well, you should take the natural sweetener. And I said, what's your basis for the decision? And they said, well, it's natural. And I said, well, so is arsenic. <laughs> and they said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you have to think about like why you're making the decision. I was like, there are toxic things that are natural as well. I was like, so you have to really use science and information as the basis for why you're making a suggestion to someone. And so it was a, a long, very long flight. It was an international flight. So we were on for a few hours. But after we got off the flight, the person said to me, they were like, you know, I was thinking that you were going to tell me something very different, but you were actually very balanced. And now I have to really go back and think about whether or not I should be using this particular natural sweetener. And I was like, I'm not suggesting that you don't use it. I'm just suggesting that you think about what is prompting you to use it. So, and again, that's all about meeting someone where they are, not judging them on the choice or what they're saying to you, but actually trying to figure out what's prompting them to make that decision or make the comment that they're making to you. Sure. Um, I want to first let you know that I would absolutely be that seatmate that's <laughs> peeking on your presentation. So nosy. Uh, but I love this idea of just not judging people for the comment, but understanding really the context of why they make the comment. Mm -hmm. And I think that can apply to everything we do in life outside of work, outside of communicating Um just giving people grace and trying to understand the context with which they look at the world. Caroline, do you have any comments here? One thing about your story that I really love that stood out was when they said, you basically, you had a moment where you could have just caught them, right? Just like straight out of the gate, the difference between like natural and instead you ask, you turn that into a question of saying, well, what makes you think that or like, what's your basis for that? And then it was, well, it's natural. And that just led to like a whole different part of the conversation. If you had just like talked at them, you might've lost them. Like they might've just like guarded up and defended their statement. Instead, you use that moment. That was a critical moment to ask a question. And it, that's such an important point. Um, and it's, it's hard to do, especially when you're I mean, a PhD scientist, like you have a lot, like you have the ability to teach them. Instead, you took it as a teachable moment to ask questions and you brought them alongside you with that. And I think that was a really neat way of doing that. And a crucial part of a conversation is that active listening in order to ask questions. And then you could tailor your response that way. And Amelia, well, and that's where the listening, I would say, really comes in is that it's non-judgmental. It really is trying to understand why a person is coming from a particular position. Because I don't know. I mean, I know I'm coming from a particular position because I've read the science on that particular issue. So they may have read something. They may have heard something. There may be something driving their decision that I'm not aware of, which is why you ask the question like, well, how did you get to the conclusion that you've drawn? And 
that usually, again, it, it usually helps to one, diffuse something that might be a very hostile situation, but also really opens the dialogue with someone because they're, they realize that you're not talking at them, that you really are trying to understand what their position is. And I really am trying to understand why their position may be different from mine, given what I know about the science. And so I'm trying to understand, have I not read something that they have read that I should be looking at as well? A learning moment for everybody. Right. Yeah. So Kimberly, as we wrap up here today, we just want to open the floor for any advice that you have for our women in chemicals community, any recommendations, whether that be, you know, mottos that you live by, books, podcasts, um, just any advice. Yeah, so one of the things I would say that I got from my mother a very, very long time ago, which is that there's a great big world out here, bigger than your own backyard. And so go out and explore it and really seek out kind of opportunities for growth. I mean, I think you have to be deliberate in seeking out those opportunities, those mentors, um, those, those opportunities that are a little bit uncomfortable, I would say. Like, so get outside of your comfort zone, try something new. And, you know, because I love science and I always want people to, um, to be engaged in science, it's learn something new about science every day. Like go out and seek something. There's science in every part of your life. And so just take a few minutes to explore it. And, you know, if you can, you know, get someone else excited about what you do professionally to share your enthusiasm, then maybe you might spur the next generation or the next innovation or the next idea that you never thought was possible. And so that comes, you know, early on. So I would just encourage everyone to just be thoughtful and, you know, find something that you love to do so that you never work a day in your life. Very well said. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on today, sharing your story, sharing a little bit more about Fossey and spending your time with us. So thank you. Well, I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to working with you all in the future. Thank you.